0: Hello and welcome to Sleep Cove, the podcast to get a good night's sleep. This podcast is a sleep story of Gulliver's Travels. I hope you enjoy the classic tale as I read out chapter one. As you all know, listening to a sleep podcast helps you drift safely and calmly off to sleep. But there might be other things in your bedroom which are stopping you getting to sleep. You might be waking up with a stiff neck or a back, or you might not be comfortable on your mattress. We spend over a third of our lives in bed, so it's important to be as comfortable as possible. When I do the podcast, I obviously ask people to get as comfortable as possible, but if your mattress is stopping you, that can be a real blocker. Getting a good night's sleep. That's why I'm really happy that Purple Mattresses are sponsoring the podcast this week. So, how is Purple different from any other mattresses out there? Well, the Purple Mattress will probably feel very different than anything you've ever experienced before because it's designed on one of a kind Purple Grid. It's nothing like the memory foam that you might be used to, it's very unique. Because it's both firm and soft at the same time and it keeps everything in your body supported so you're very comfortable plus it's breathable so it keeps very cool it ends up giving you the zero gravity light feel so it works for any sleeping position what's great about the purple mattress is that you can have an in-home setup and your old mattress removed if you want to you can have a hundred night risk free trial And if you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for the full refund. And it's backed by a 10-year warranty. Free shipping and returns are also available when ordered from Purple.com. You're going to love Purple. And right now, Sleep Cove listeners will get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great deals they're offering site-wide. Just text COVE to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text COVE to 84888. That's C-O-V-E to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. So don't let a bad mattress stop you having a good night's sleep. As we all know, going to sleep is a very precious and lovely thing. So consider using Purple to improve your sleep. This week, I want to give a big thanks out to all my new patrons. There's Lauren, Charmaine, Amy, Hafner, Trina, Lacey, Christy. Lexi, Natalie, Rachel, Amy, Caroline, Faith, Kelly, Megan, Catherine, Katie, Susan, Brenda and Murray. If your tier qualifies, you'll soon be receiving a letter and stickers in the post. If you don't know. These are the people who subscribe by Patreon and are the Patreons who donate one, five, or ten dollars a month to receive bonus content and ad-free content from the podcast. I'm really thankful for the new members and I hope you enjoy the bonus content this month. I'll also soon be giving away as a prize the books I read the sleep stories from, please look out on my social media on how to enter. Please do not listen to this or any sleep recording whilst driving or operating heavy machinery. Please listen in a place where you can safely go to sleep. And let's begin. Gulliver's travels into several remote nations of the world, the publisher to the reader. The author of these travels, Mr Lemuel Gulliver, is my ancient and intimate friend. There is likewise some relation between us on the mother's side. About three years ago, Mr Gulliver, growing weary of the concourse of curious people coming to his house at Redriff, made a small purchase of land with a convenient house near Newark in Nottinghamshire, his native country, where he now lives retired, yet in good esteem among his neighbours. Although Mr Gulliver was born in Nottinghamshire, where his father dwelt, Yet I have heard him say his family came from Oxfordshire, to confirm which I have observed in the churchyard at Banbury, in that country several tombs and monuments of the Gullivers. Before he quitted Rudriff, he left the custody of the following papers in my hands, with the liberty to dispose of them as I should think fit. I have carefully peruse them three times. The style is very plain and simple, and the only fault I find is that the author, after the manner of travellers, is a little too circumstantial. There is an air of truth apparent through the whole, and indeed the author was so distinguished for his veracity, that it became a sort of proverb among his neighbours at Redriff, when anyone affirmed a thing to say it was true as if Mr. Gulliver had spoken it. By the advice of several worthy persons to whom with the author's permission I communicated these papers, I have now ventured to send them into the world, hoping they may be, at least for some time, a better entertainment to our young nobleman than the common scribbles of politics and party the volume would have been at least twice as large if I had not made bold to strike out innumerable passages relating to the winds and tides as well as to the variations and bearings in the several voyages together with the minute descriptions of the management of the ship in storms in the style of the sailors likewise the account of longitude and latitudes wherein I have reason to apprehend that Mr Gulliver may be a little disappointed but I was resolved to fit the work as much as possible to the general capacity of readers however in my own ignorance in sea affairs shall have led me to commit some mistakes I am alone all, for them and if any traveller hath the curiosity to see the whole work at large as it came from my hands of the author i shall be ready to gratify him as for any further particulars relating to the author the reader will receive satisfaction from the first pages of the book richard simpson Part 1. A Voyage to Lilliput Chapter 1 The author gives some account of himself and family, his first inducements to travel, he is shipwrecked and swims for his life, gets safe on shore in the country of Lilliput, is made a prisoner and carried up the country. My father had a small estate in Nottinghamshire. I was the third of five sons. He sent me to Emmanuel College in Cambridge at 14 years old, where I resided 3 years and applied myself close to my studies, but the charge of maintaining me. Although I had very scanty allowance, being too great for a narrow fortune. I was bound apprentice to Mr James Bates, an eminent surgeon in London, which whom I continued four years. My father now, and then sending me small amounts of money, I laid them out in learning navigation and other parts of the mathematics useful to those who intend to travel, as I always believed it would be some time or other my fortune to do. When I left Mr. Bates, I went down to my father, where, by the assistance of him and my uncle John, and some other relations. I got £40 and a promise of £30 a year to maintain me at Leiden where I studied physics two years and seven months knowing it would be useful in long voyages. Soon after my return from Leiden I was recommended by my good servant Mr Bates to be surgeon to the swallow captain, admiral panel, commander with whom I continued three years and a half making a voyage or two into the Levant and some other parts. When I came back I resolved to settle in London to which Mr Bates my master encouraged me and by him I was recommended to several patients. I took part of a small house and old jewellery and being advised to alter my condition I married Mrs. Mary Burton, a second daughter to Mr. Edmund Burton, hosier in Newgate Street, with whom I received four hundred pounds for a portion. But my good master Bates dying in two years after, and I have having few friends, my business began to fail, for my conscience would not suffer me to imitate the bad practice of too many among my brethren. Having therefore consulted with my wife and some of my acquaintance, I determined to go to sea. I was surgeon successively in two ships and made several voyages for six years to the East and West Indies by which I got some addition to my fortune of leisure I spent in reading the best authors, ancient and modern, being always provided with a good number of books, and when I was ashore in observing the manners and dispositions of the people, as well as learning their language, wherein I had a great facility by the strength of my memory. The last of these two voyages, not proving very fortunate, I grew weary of the sea, and intended to stay at home with my wife and family. I removed from the old jewellery to Fetter Lane, and from thence to Wapping, hoping to get business among the sailors, but it would not turn to account. After three years' expectation that things would mend, I accepted an advantageous offer from Captain William Pritchard, Master of the Antelope, who was making a voyage to the South Sea. We set sail from Bristol May the 4th 1699 and our voyage was at first very prosperous. It would not be proper, for some reasons, to trouble the reader with the particulars of our adventures in those seas. Let it suffice to inform him that in our passage from thence to the East Indies, we were driven by a violent storm to the northwest of Van Diemen's Land. By an observation, we found ourselves in the latitude of 30 degrees, 2 minutes south. Twelve of our crew were dead by immoderate labour and ill food the rest were in very weak condition. On the 5th of November, which was the beginning of summer in those parts, the weather being very hazy, the seamen spied a rock within half a cable's length of the ship, but the wind was so strong that we were driven directly upon it and immediately split. Six of the crew, of whom I was one having lent down the boat into the sea, made a shift to get clear of the ship and the rock. We rowed, by my computation, about three leagues to we were able to work no longer, being already spent with labour while we were in the ship. We therefore trusted ourselves to the mercy of the waves and in about half an hour the boat was overset by a sudden flurry from the north, what became of my companions in the boat, as well as those who escaped on the rock, all were left in the vessel, I cannot tell, but can conclude they were all lost, for my own part I swam as fortune directed me, and was pushed forward by tide and wind, and often let my legs drop and could feel no bottom, but when I was almost gone and able to struggle no longer, I found myself within my depth and this time the storm had much abated. The declivity was so small that I walked near a mile before I got to the shore, which I conjectured was about 8 o'clock in the evening. I then advanced forward nearly half a mile, but could not discover any sign of houses or inhabitants. At least I was in so weak a condition that I did not observe them. I was extremely tired, and with that, and the heat of the weather, and about half a pint of brandy that I drank as I left the ship, I found myself much inclined to sleep. I lay down on the grass, which was very short and soft, where I slept sounder than I ever remembered, and, as I reckoned, about nine hours, for which I awaked, it was daylight. Before we find out what Gulliver saw, When you woke up, I would like to introduce a new sponsor to the podcast, BetterHelp. As you're listening to a sleep podcast, you obviously have an interest in health and want to improve your wellness, but sometimes listening to a podcast is not enough, and you may want to seek out professional therapeutic advice that will help you achieve your goals. That's why I'm happy that BetterHelp is sponsoring the podcast BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 24 hours it's not a crisis line and it's not self-help it's a professional counselling that is done securely online the service is available for anyone worldwide and 24-7 you can log in anytime and send a message to your counsellor. It's very convenient because you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions from where you live. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and it makes it easy to change counsellors if you need to. BetterHelp are offering Sleepcove listeners 10% off your first month. Please visit betterhelp.com forward slash sleepcove that's better help spelled h-e-l-p and go to betterhelp.com slash sleepcove it truly is an affordable option and get connected with a counsellor today and now back to the story tempted to rise, but was not able to stir, for as I happened to lie on my back, I found my arms and legs were strongly fastened on each side to the ground, and my hair, which was long and thick, tied down in the same manner. I likewise felt several slender ligatures across my body, and... From my armpits to my thighs I could only look upwards, the sun began to grow hot and the light offended my eyes. I heard a confused noise about me, but in the posture I lay, could see nothing except the sky. In the little time I felt something alive moving on my left leg while advancing gently towards, and looking over my breast, it came almost up to my chin, when, bending my eyes downwards as much as I could, I perceived it to be a human creature, not six inches high, with a bow and arrow in his hands, and a quiver on his back. In the meantime, I felt at least forty more of the same kind, as I guessed, following the first, I was in the utmost astonishment, and roared so loud that they all fell back in affright. And some of them, as I was afterwards told, were hurt with the falls they got by leaping from my sides upon the ground. However, they soon returned, and one of them, who ventured so far as to get a full sight of my face, Lifted up his hands and eyes by a way of admiration and cried out in a shrill but distinct voice Hecania Degal The others repeated the same words several times, but then I knew not what they meant. I lay all this while, as the reader may believe, in great uneasiness, at length Struggling to get loose, I had the fortune to break the strings and wrench out the pegs that fastened my left arm to the ground. For by lifting it up to my face, I discovered the methods they had taken to bind me, and at the same time, with a violent pull which gave me excessive pain. I a little loosened the strings that tied down my hair on the left hand side. So that I was just about to be able to turn my head about two inches. But the creatures ran off a second time before I could seize them, whereupon there was a great shout in a very shrill accent. And after it ceased, I heard one of them cry aloud, Togo Ponokak. When in an instant I felt about a hundred arrows discharged on my left hand, which pricked me like so many needles, and beside they shot another flight into the air, as we do bombs in Europe, whereof many, I suppose, fell on my body, though I felt them not, and some on my face, which I immediately covered with my left hand. When the shower of arrows was all over, I felt a groaning with grief and pain, and then, striving to get loose, they discharged another volley larger than the first, and some of them attempted with spears to stick me in the sides, but by good luck, I had a buff jerkin, which they could not pierce, although it was the most prudent method to lie still, and my design was to continue so till night, when, my left hand being already loose, I could easily free myself and, as for the inhabitants, I had reason to believe I might be a match for the greatest army they could bring against me, if they were all the same size with him that I saw. But fortune disposed otherwise of me, when the people observed I was quiet. They discharged no more arrows, but by the noise I heard, I knew their numbers increased, and about four yards from me, over against my right ear, I heard a knocking for above an hour, like that people at work. When turning my head that way, as well as the pegs and strings would permit me, I saw a stage erected about a foot and a half from the ground capable of holding four of the inhabitants with two or three ladders to mount it from whence one of them who seemed to be a person of quality made me a long speech where I could not understand one syllable but I should have mentioned that before the principal person began his oration he cried out three times Langro San. these words and the former were afterwards repeated and explained to me, whereupon immediately about fifty of the inhabitants came and cut the strings that fastened the left side of my head which gave me the liberty of turning to the right and of observing the person and the gesture of him that was to speak. He appeared to be of middle age and taller than any of the other three who attended him, whereof one was a page that held up his train and seemed to somewhat longer than my middle finger, the other two, one on each side to support him. He acted every part of an orator and I could observe many periods of threatenings and others of promises, pity and kindness. I answered in a few words, but in the most submissive manner, lifting up my left hand and both my eyes to the sun, as calling him for a witness, and being almost famished with hunger, having not eaten a morsel for some hours before I left the ship, I found the demands of nature so strong upon me that I could not forbear showing my impatience, perhaps against the strict rules of decency by putting my finger frequently to my mouth to signify that I wanted food. The Hugo, for so they call a great lord, as I afterwards learnt, understood me very well. He descended from the stage and commanded that several ladders should be applied to my sides, at which above a hundred of the inhabitants mounted and walked towards my mouth, laden with baskets full of meat, which had been provided, and sent thither by the king's orders. Upon the first intelligence he received of me, I observed that there was a flesh of several animals, that could not distinguish them by the taste. There were shoulders, legs, and loins, shaped like those of mutton, and very well dressed, but smaller than the wings of a lark. I ate them by two or three at a mouthful and took three loaves at a time, about the bigness of musket bullets. They supplied me as fast as they could, showing a thousand marks of wonder and astonishment at my bulk and appetite. I made them another sign that I wanted drink, they found by my eating a small quantity would not suffice me, and being a most ingenious people, they slung up with great dexterity one of the largest hogshead that rolled it towards my hand and beat off the top, and I drank it off at a draught, which I might well do, for it was did not hold half a pint, and tasted like a small wine of burgundy, but was more delicious, they brought me a second hogshead, which I drank in the same manner, and made signs for more, but they had none to give me. When I performed these wonders, they shouted for joy, and danced upon my breast, repeating several times as they did the first, Her kinder de Gaul." they made a sign that I should throw down the two hogsheads but first warning the people below to stand out of the way, crying aloud, BORAK MELOVA! And when they saw the vessels in the air, there was a universal shout of, EKINJA Degal. I confess I was often tempted, while they were passing backwards and forwards on my body, to see forty or fifty of the first that came into my reach and dash them against the ground. But the remembrance of what I had felt would probably not be the worst they could do and the promise of honour I made them for I interpreted my submissive behaviour soon drove out these imaginations besides I now considered myself as bound by the laws of hospitality to a people however in my thoughts I could not sufficiently wonder at the courageousness of these diminutive mortals who burst venture to mount and walk upon my body while one of my hands was at liberty without trembling at the very sight of so prodigious a creature I must appear to them. After some time when they observed that I made no more demands for meat, there appeared before me a person of high rank from his imperial majesty. His Excellency, having mounted on the small of my right leg advanced forwards up to my face with about a dozen of his friends and producing his credentials under the sign royal which he applied close to my eyes spoke about ten minutes without any signs of anger but with a kind of determinate resolution often pointing forwards which, as I afterwards thought, was towards the capital city, about half a mile distance. I answered in few words, but to no purpose, and made a sign with my hand that was loose, putting it to the other, but over his excellency's head, for fear of hurting him or his train, and then to my own head and body, to signify that I desired my liberty. It appeared that he understood me well enough, for he shook his head by way of agreement, and held his hand in a posture to show that I must be carried as a prisoner. However, he made other signs to let me understand that I should have meat and drink enough, and have very good treatment. Whereupon. I once more thought of my attempting to break my bonds, but again I felt the smart of the arrows upon my face and hands, which were all blisters and many of the darts still sticking in them, and observing likewise that the number of my enemies increased, I gave tokens to them to let them know that they might do with me what they pleased. Upon this the Hergo and his train withdrew, with much civility and cheerful countenances. Soon after I heard a general shout, with frequent repetitions of the word Pleplon Sirlan, and I felt great numbers of people on my left-hand side relaxing the cords to such a degree that I was able to turn upon my right and to ease myself with making water which I very plentifully did. It was the great astonishment of the people, who, by conjecturing by my motion, which I was doing to do so, immediately opened to the right and left of me on that side to avoid the torrent, which fell with such noise and violence from me. But before this, they absorbed my face and both my hands with a sort of ointment, very pleasant to the smell, which, in a few minutes, removed all the smarts of their arrows. This circumstances added to the refreshment I had received by their victuals and drink, which was very nourishing, disposed me to sleep. I slept about eight hours, and I was afterwards assured. It was no wonder, for the physicians by the Emperor's order had mingled a sleepy potion in the hog's head, of wine. It seems that first upon the moment I discovered sleeping on the ground after my landing, the emperor had early notice of it by an express and determined in the council that I should be tied in the manner I have related, which was done in the night while I slept that plenty of meat and drink should be sent to me and the machine prepared to carry me to the capital city. This resolution perhaps may appear very bold and dangerous and I am confident it would not be imitated by any prince in Europe on the like occasion, however in my opinion it was extremely prudent as well as generous, for supposing these people had endeavoured to kill me with their spears and arrows while I was asleep, I should certainly have awaked with the first sense of smart, which might so far have roused my rage and strength, as to have enabled me to break the strings wherewith I was tired, after which, as they were not able to make resistance, so They could expect no mercy. These people are the most excellent mathematicians, and arrived to a great perfection in mechanics, by the countenance and encouragement of the Emperor, who is a renowned patron of learning. The Prince had several machines fixed on wheels for the carriage of trees and other great weights. He often binds his largest men-of-war, whereof some are nine feet long in the woods where the timber grows, and has them carried on these engines three or four hundred yards to the sea. Five hundred carpenters and engineers were immediately set at work to prepare the greatest engine they had. It was a frame of wood raised three inches from the ground and about seven feet long, and four feet wide, moving upon twenty-two wheels. The shout I heard was upon the arrival of this engine, which it seems set out in four hours after my landing. It was brought parallel to me as I lay, but the principal difficulty was to raise and place me in this vehicle. Eighty poles, each of one foot high, was erected for this purpose, and very strong cords of the business of pack thread was fastened by hooks to my many bandages, which the workmen had girt round their necks, my hands, and my body. Nine hundred of the strongest men were employed to draw up these cords by many pulleys, fastened on the poles, and thus In less than three hours, I was raised and slung into the engine, and there tied fast. All this, I was told, for while the operation was performing, I lay in a profound sleep by the force of that medicine infused into my liquor. Fifteen hundred of the emperor's largest horses, each about four inches and a half high, were employed to draw me towards the metropolis which as i said was half a mile distant about 4 hours after we began our journey i awakened to a very ridiculous accident for the carriage being stopped a while to ingest something that was out of order two or three of the young natives had the curiosity to see how i looked when i was asleep they climbed up into the engine and advancing very softly to my face one of the officers and the guards Put the sharp end of his half pike a good way up my left nostril, which tickled my nose like a straw, and made me sneeze violently, whereupon they stole off unperceived, and it was three weeks before I knew the cause of me waking so suddenly. We made a long march the remaining part of the day, and rested at night with five hundred guards on each side of me, half with torches half with bows and arrows, ready to shoot me if I should offer to stir. The next morning, at sunrise, we continued our march, and arrived within two hundred yards of the city gates about noon. The Emperor and all his court came to meet us, but his great officers would by no means suffer his majesty to endanger his persons by mounting on my body. At the largest place where the carriage stopped, there stood an ancient temple, esteemed to be the largest in the whole kingdom, which, having been polluted some years before by an unnatural murder, was, according to the zeal of these people, looked upon as profane, and therefore had been applied to common use, and all the ornaments and furnitures carried away. In this edifice it was determined I should lodge. The great gate fronting to the north was about four feet high and almost two feet wide though which I could easily creep. On each side of the gate was a small window not above six inches from the ground and to that on the left hand side the kingsmith conveyed four score and eleven chains like those that hang to a lady's watch in Europe, and almost as large, which were locked to the left of my leg with six and thirty padlocks. Over against this temple, on the other side of the grey highway, at twenty feet distance, there was a turret at least five foot high. Here the emperor ascended, with many principal lords of his court, to have an opportunity of viewing me, as I was told. I could not see them. It was reckoned that about a hundred thousand inhabitants came out of the town upon the same errand in spite of my guards. I believe there could not be fewer than ten thousand as several times who mounted my body by the help of ladders, but a proclamation was soon issued to forbid it upon pain of death. When the workmen found it was impossible for me to break loose, they cut all the strings that bound me, whereupon I rose up with as melancholy a disposition as I had ever in my life. The chains that held my left leg were about two yards long and gave me not only the liberty of walking backwards and forwards in a semicircle, but being fixed within four inches of the gate, allowing me to creep in and lie at my full length in the temple.